So I have a question for you. Yay. What is the most disgusting thing you have ever seen? The most disgusting thing I've ever seen? Yes. That made you ugh and feel gross in your stomach and go, oh my god. The most oh. disgusting thing, I didn't see it. I felt it. Okay. Okay. I I was walking barefoot okay. and I stepped on, um, have you ever heard of uh, banana slugs? Um, yeah. They're pretty the common. They're, 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 yeah, they're, yeah. Huge they're the yellow. Eyes, <laughs> the little eye stalks. <laughs> yeah. They're huge. They can get really big. They can get upwards to about, I would say, seven or eight inches. They're they're bright yellow. They look like bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of adorable in their own disgusting way. I was walking without shoes in the dark. At, well, not total dark. And I stepped on one, and it's I felt it squirt out its body like a tube of toothpaste through my feet. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm calling PETA. So I felt bad because I had killed something in, and I think this is one of the reasons why it upset me so much, is that one of my stupidest fears, and I think I've had this since I was a kid, was the idea that something gigantic would step on me, right? Like, okay. you know how much I love, like, you know. I've never I love had that Ult- fear, but okay. I love Ultraman. I love Godzilla. I love, you know, King Kong. But whenever they, in a movie or something like that, when something gigantic steps on something, I just go, ugh, because I can, for some reason, my overactive imagination would be like, okay, at what point do you, would that be instantaneous or would that be, you know, squish and then you're alive long enough to feel your whole body being flattened, you know? Like a steamroller? Yeah, ugh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay, Uh so, I was at work last week and... I was okay. So as often happens at this place, because there's no uh, there's no real communication. There's a lot of help, but there's no real communication about where people are. Right. There's our our wing of the building is shaped like a T. There's a person who works in the middle. That person's working on the T. Mm-hmm. There's a per- you go to the left. That's the A side. That's where I normally work. The B side. If it's a guy side. that's working in the middle of the T, can you call him Mr. T? Probably, but it's a girl. Anyways, well, Mrs. T works. Okay, Mrs. T. She comes down the hallway screaming for me, and I have no idea where my partner is, so I can tell them that I'm going to be leaving the A-side to go help her. And she goes, I need your help. Um, and I go, uh, oh, okay, I don't, uh, I don't know why you need my help, but okay. And she, I'm like, where's your, where's your partner? She goes, I have no idea, but I, I need your help right now. And she is dressed mm-hmm. in the yellow gown that they give people to wear when they're dealing with a person who has a... Uh, uh, who has C diff or any or MRSA? I'm not. Or... Don't want to do the story anymore. No, no, no. Just, just hear me. <clears throat> okay. But this person, the person didn't have that. She was just wearing it, so she didn't get shit on her clothes. Right. Okay? No, I know okay. the person that was wearing it didn't have it. No, 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 no. The 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 patient didn't have it. Oh, okay. She took it just so she wouldn't get poop on her clothes. Okay. And I didn't realize that that was the reason she was wearing it. Okay. So she asks me into the bathroom. No. There I, I into the bathroom of this patient. I'm not going with you. I'm staying in the hallway. Okay. I open the door. It's one of those it's the, the they're wide bathrooms so you can fit a wheelchair in there and everything. And there yeah. sitting in a wheelchair is an elderly gentleman who I don't know how this is possible. I'm so scared. But this gentleman took the most giant shit, I smeary shit I have ever seen in his pants. But it was contained within his pants until she brought him into the bathroom because she didn't even know that what had happened. It was like in his in his legs around his thighs squished up there and he didn't know because he's that confused. Do people and, listen to our podcast anymore? Okay. <laughs> and he he is he is sitting in the chair with his pants <laughs> around his knees and he is reaching into his crotch and pulling the poop out 
and slopping it onto the floor. It's, why it's is plot, he... It's plot poop. He's old and he's confused. Don't ask why. It's just... Okay. But dry. Remember? Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> why ask why? So, I walk in and squish. Oh. I s- because this gentleman, I, I, I'm sorry, I thought that she had brought him into the bathroom. He brought himself into the bathroom. And he had he had been pulling the feces out and throw, throwing it onto the floor and smearing it across the floor as he went to the toilet, which is about a five-foot distance. And So you closed the door and you, and you nailed it up the end. <laughs> <laughs> and he had smeared it on the walls. He had smeared it on the basin, mm-hmm. and he had smeared it on himself. And she Yay. said, can you see why I need your help? <laughs> and to top it all off, this gentleman, this isn't the end of the story, this gentleman is a former <sighs> priest. Oh, of course. I, I don't know. It's just, it's. I just think that that part makes it so much more funny. <laughs> why does that make it funny? <laughs> Because it's just, he's sitting, this because of the things that he's saying to her. Mm. You don't work at my parish yet. You don't get to tell me what to do, lady. Because, of course, he's he's got to be misogynistic towards her. Yeah. And I well, walked calling in. Calling her a lady isn't misogynistic, but okay. No, no, no. The way he was, because this is, this is how it worked. I walked in. She's trying to get, you know, pretty much squeegee the motherfucker off. Yeah. And he's got poop all over his catheter, all over the floor, and all over everything. And he says, you don't work here, lady. I walk <laughs> in, and I go, do you remember me? And he goes, yes, 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 Atticus. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he goes, and he goes, you need to help me right now because she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> Wait. And, and I said, Wait, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's okay. the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. A he, man covered in shit, with shit smeared all over the bathroom, says, Thank God you're here. This woman doesn't know what she's doing. And she, in her in her passive way, realized yes. that she was not. This guy was not going to listen <laughs> to a woman tell him what to do. Yeah, and even though even though I'm pretty sure that it says in his care plan he's supposed to have men take care of him because he's ne- he's been he's been a priest his whole life. He's never had yeah. a woman like see him naked or anything like that. So well, now he gets sad. Yeah, but he's blind. So I mean, oh God, <laughs> bless America. Anyways, anyways, what well, I'm not saying his name. Or anything and I, I, no one knows uh-huh. who, who i'm talking about oh uh, you set him on fire and i could be making this up for all you where all you know but anyway uh, no he you love he, your poop stories he is pointing at me with his crotchety witch-like finger covered in shit and telling me i need to help him and i said the first thing you need to do is get in the shower. No, I don't want to take a shower. You're taking a shower now. Uh-huh. Because sometimes that's what it takes to get it done. You know, there's a lot of people would say that it, you know, you can't tell a person to do something that they don't want to do. Yeah. But there you there is a, thir- a certain way to deal with a person who has dementia, especially a person who's set in their ways their entire life. And one of those things is being aggressive in a way. Uh-huh. I'm not forcing him. I'm not dragging him. I'm not slapping his hand. I'm not touching him. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, you're taking a shower now. Now, if mm-hmm. he says for the third time that he doesn't want a shower, I'll give up. Right. I have to. But he didn't. He said, okay, Wait, fine. what do you do at that point? You just give up and you leave? Have somebody else come in and try to redirect him the same way. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, you can't just leave him. I mean, you te- technically by law, yeah, you could, but then somebody else could say that you were neglecting them. And then you could say, no, they have their rights. And it's this argument that yeah. goes back and forth. My, my 
my conviction is walk in there, tell him what he's doing. Right. Like like he doesn't have a choice. Right. And then he has to he has to, you know, concur and he said, All right, fine. And I said, Listen, you are covered in shit. Head to toe. Uh-huh. And he looked at me and he said, Well, I haven't had a shower in three weeks anyways. I know. Anyways, so I bring him in, and his wheelchair is smearing shit down the hallway, and he has shit all over the wheelchair, and I bring him into the shower room, and I shut the curtain, and I get him to stand up and wash him off from head to toe, and and he's just sitting there complaining about all these women that work in this place and how they don't know what they're doing. And, and And then I told him... They know what they're doing like I know what I'm doing. In fact, some of them are better at this job than I am. Because trust mm-hmm. me, I almost wanted to give up. I said that to him. <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm glad that you didn't because I feel clean now. And I said, no, not yet. I still got to dig the poop out of, uh, from underneath your fingernails. Bah. It was in between his toes. It was squishy, squishy poop. And then as he's sitting in the shower, he takes a dump again. But I luckily I had put him on a shower chair that was a toilet shower chair. Oh good. So I'm rinsing him off and as the poop is being rinsed down the drain, the strainer is collecting the corn from the dinner the day. I hate you. Shut up. He's gonna stop now. Anyways, that's probably you know the what? most disgusting I'll... thing. I'm I... never gonna oh, complain. Oh, 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 I'm not done. I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done. Pro- I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm done. You're done. After You're all... at the at the end at the you end, I, I did not put on a yellow gown and I was spotless. I did not even get wet from cleaning him in the shower. You should have taken a picture. I did not get one piece of poop. At the last minute, he picks up a towel from one of the rungs that we haven't hung on, and he flips it over his back, and it had poop on it, and it got on my shirt. It was Shitfest 2018, and I was cleaning a priest covered in turds. Hey guys, I know, you probably worked a hard job, hard, you have a hard job, you work hard, hey, you do you know a lot what? of things. Let me finish Mike my never statement, did CNA god damn it. On, on, on dirty and, jobs. And... <laughs> I know you guys get home tired and frustrated and all that stuff. I don't care if you work in a fast food restaurant or you work in a regular restaurant. I can. Or you work in an office <laughs> or you work as a garbage man or you're a freaking morgue technician. It's your job to slurp the guts into the bin at the end of the day. But you've never had a day like that. <laughs> and then I had to go empty someone's colostomy. You know I'm what I've kidding. discovered you know, after you hearing this story? What? Predators are a blessing. <laughs> Wait, why? Because if we were living out in the wild, <laughs> he'd just get up and go, I don't need any help. I'm going to go and he'd poop his way into the forest and animals don't care Never if you're covered in shit. <laughs> and you like, eat around that part. Eat around that part. Let's do a show. I forgot to keep saying father during the whole thing because that's what I call I was like, I call him father. It's still, it's a title that he earned, so... <laughs> Father, you're covered in shit head to toe. <laughs> now, how many people do you know that get to make a statement like that? Ah, uh, priest. Nobody. I win. <laughs> Altar boys. <laughs> what? Nothing. They... Wait, did you say it? Did you make a naughty joke about that? No, I did it. Three, <laughs> two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Let Me Finish Two Men, One Story, One Million Interruptions. I am Jason Harding. And I am Atticus Shit. 
And on this show, it's fairly simple. Atticus has 30 minutes to tell a story, and I have 30 minutes to prevent him from doing so. If at any time you hear this sound... <laughs> no! Say a word, anything! <laughs> Ass face. There you go. If you hear that word, that means that Atticus has run out of time and I have won. However, if you don't hear that word, that means he has won. Atticus, please tell me that you have a story for us to sit back, relax, and listen to, and not think about poop ever again. I do. Yay! Is it your story? Is it a listener story? What kind of story is it? It's a listener story from Sir Kittelot. Yay! Thank you, Sir Kittelot. Hey, guys, if you have a story that you would like for us to read on the air, then please go to the Let Me Listen website, go to the contact page, and leave it for us there. So, hey, hey. What? So, that is one thing that I have never dealt with as a fetish. Poop. It's disgusting. I hate it. And Great. I was a garbage man for a while, too. Good to know your limits. Yeah. So, whenever a lady... Like, I'm like you. Whenever a lady goes near my butthole, I'm like, no, 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 you don't want to go there. There's a turtle head poking out. That, just, that no. is a one-way road. It is. It's a one-way road. <laughs> Except when I do it to myself, which is different. Okay, but, we're know. done. We're finished. Then, I was uh, going to ask you if you were a garbage man when you had the robot trucks with the claw hand that comes out. I said Badinga. When did you say Badinga? I didn't hear Badinga. You're not listening. You got shit in your ears. Say it again, then. Badinga. Oh my God. Do the story. I'm in a bad mood now. <laughs> <laughs> story for Let Me Finish. I'm not Part clean. Two. <laughs> Oh, my God. Everything's covered in shit. <laughs> Story for Let Me Finish, part two. Which, by the way, is true. What? Everything's, Everything's covered, covered in shit, yeah. Everything's covered in shit. Everything's covered in bacteria, and we're all slaves to them. Yeah. You drink Hi. the urine of yeast. You, that, that's the waste Beer. product. Yep. Hi, Jason and Atticus and James, if you're there. Hi. Hi, sir, kid a lot. He's in bed. He has to get up early and work all day. I'll be James. Hi. <laughs> I am not a Tonus, nor am I logic, and I certainly am not Armored Skeptic. Yeah. I am Sir Kidalot, YouTube extraordinaire, maker of mediocre Let's Play videos and monotonous, <laughs> poorly written reviews of various World War II vehicles. Anyways, oh. so... Who reviews going... World War II vehicles? I don't know, someone who's awesome? Why, yes. They sent us a 25-page story. Does he do airplanes, or does he do, like, tanks and stuff? He doesn't explain. What do you expect me to well, make it up should. on the spot? Yes. <laughs> This is the guy who sent the story before about the, the, the slash fiction of pic picket fences. Oh, yay! <laughs> okay, so so I was going through some of your earlier podcasts, and I got to the point where you started picket fences. Haydn hurt my friend Jason, so now it must pay. Yay, I love our fans! <laughs> and so, here is another story. What I done trying to satirize that piece of garbage. And I do have to say, this is me cutting in, I, I want more people to do this. More people. <laughs> Go to More Good slash Reads, fiction. It doesn't look have to it be. Up. It doesn't have to. No one has ever written written a slash thing between me and Addy. Yeah, they have. Remember the dream one? I don't... This oh, was like two years ago. Someone wrote yeah. a dream sequence where you and I get together or something. I don't remember And they wrote that. one, and, they, and someone wrote one with all the musicals in it. How can you forget that? Oh, that's right. But that was... We, I wrote... That was, like, that was like 50 pages of fucking what the fuck. <laughs> Anyways. No, you know what slash fiction is, though. It has to be sex. Oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Iron Fences. <laughs> Chapter 1. 
Joshuanovich stood at the frozen edge of the river watching Bensky, <laughs> like, Gloria Natalia, and Diana slide Diana. around on the ice. <laughs> you have to read these. In, you should have sent me a copy so we could read the dialogue back. I, you can it. download it from Gmail right now. There's nothing I, stopping you from editing out talking that talking point. Where is it? Go into the Gmail to where you sent me the email and you can download it from there. Oh, that's right, because I send you these. Duh. <laughs> Here's a good question. How long ago was this? Uh, I don't want to open up another thing. I don't want my computer to crash. Okay, fine. I'll just have to... I'll just have to... I'll just have to look. Oh, my God. Sorry. Stop gargling shit. I can't have it. I can't. (laughs) You gotta gotta gargle shit like me just to get the bacteria. I was in a bubble. Oh, man. I can't find it. Oh, God. Let me. I can go into my phone and it will tell me what day it was on. I can't find it. Me, 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 me. Okay. okay. It was on February 28th. Wait, no, I'm oh. sorry. That's not it. Whoops. Okay. Nope. This one was on February 8th. Let me finish oh. part one dot ODT, which is which you can open as a Word doc. Does it say story from for let me finish on the top? Yes. From. Oh, don't say the name. Okay. Yeah. I won't say the name. More. It I said, see it. No, the title is more story. Hi, Jason. And here is my next story, as promised. Hope you guys enjoy. Again, please call me by my YouTube name, Circuit a lot. Mar- February eighth. So find that one. Exciting podcast content. You need to open it up. I'm opening. Stop you need to pressuring me. You don't Stop. The pressure. We can always go back and change it. Just like in, uh, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You can do it after the report. Okay, so it's called oh More Story. Yes. And, and I sent it to you on the 8th. Of February. Of February. Stop being a butt I keep donkey. finding your stuff. I keep finding Slammy in the pooper with that pan. Or... <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to explain this. When he Jason, sends me Jason, his... Jason, uh... Jason, just go through... Then you can put in the search bar the date, and it will bring up that goddamn... You realize that, right? I don't know how the computers work. <laughs> Gmail's confusing. <laughs> I think I have the right one open. Let me see. Yes, I have it. Ready? Okay. Okay. Okay, I'll be the main narrator, and you do all, all right. the voices. Yeah, that works. Okay, Get ready so for some audio sex, guys. Let's start over again. Okay. I- Iron Fences, Chapter 1. Joshuanovich stood at the frozen edge of the river, watching Bensky, Gloriana, Gloriana Talia, and Diania slide around on the ice. Come uh, come join us on the ice, comrade Joshovinovich. Is the ice is fun to slide around on? Bensky ben- called to him. Oh, no, sorry. I do that. Bensky called to him. Yeah, comrade Bensky, for I am afraid that the ice will break and I'll drown in the water underneath for it's only September and the ice is still thin. Joshuanovich shouted back, his voice muffled by his thin scarf. Perhaps Comrade Joshuanovich is correct, said Gloria Tanya. We should go back to the shore and then go down to the State Food Distribution Bureau for some thin potato soup and maybe, if we're lucky, a small amount of stale bread. Yeah, try to do that, that voice with the Russian accent. Okay, you got it. <laughs> Bensky, Gloria, Talia, Gloria Natalia, and Diania made their way to the store. Bensky reached down and picked up a handful of snow, formed it into a ball, and threw it at Joshuanovich. Why are you throwing of the snow, comrade? <laughs> Demanded Joshuanovich. 
Bensky, Bensky winked, slapped Joshuanovich on the shoulder, and began trudging up the hill towards the road, just as a velvety blanket of snow <laughs> began to fall. Yeah, but see, velvety blanket of snow works! No, it wouldn't be velvety. Oh, well, oh, if yeah, you're describing it, it after it falls, not before yeah. it falls. Yeah. Chapter 2. Why does your papa have car, comrade? Joshuanovich asks Bensky, as the battered little Gaz A bounced and skidded along the muddy track. Gloria Natalia and Diana giggled from the back seat. Despite their efforts, the four of them had not managed to raise the tattered canvas roof, and the snow fell freely into their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Bensky, half-blinded by the barrage of icy needles, struggled to keep the car under control as he shouted, What does comrade mean by that? I'm meaning that in whole town of Bresnik, only your papa has car. That is because my papa is town commissar and he need car for state business. You're questioning state business? Bensky said quietly. Net comrade. Joshuanovich said quickly, turning, turning to gaze across the vast empty fields of snow. That snet that stretched off into infinity, into infinity, <laughs> on the other side of the track. I would never question business of glorious union of Soviet socialist republics. Gloria, Natalia, and Dayanya had stopped giggling. <laughs> After what seemed like hours, the spluttering gas reached the small town of Breznik, Breznik, on the side of the frozen Divinya River. Bensky dropped Joshuanovich off at his mother's <laughs> farm. Tomorrow he would forget all about Joshuanovich's uh, unpatriotic remark. Unpatriotic remark. The SFDB had today acquired a new shipment of supplies for the winter, and Bensky's father would no doubt have questioned a por- uh, requisitioned a portion uh, requisitioned a portion of the vodka ration for official state purposes. Joshuanovich kicked off kicked snow off his boots, hung up his scarf and hat, entered the house. Uh- Ah, little Joshuanovich, come sit, I made your favorite, exclaimed his mother as he entered the tiny kitchen area. You weren't playing on the ice, were you? No, Momo, Joshuanovich sighed, sitting at the rough wooden table. Good, you remember what happened to little Lina, fell straight through the ice and drowned. That's why you must respect your mama. Yes, Momo. I gotta turn the page. There we go. Still you. It's you. No. It, no, I, I went too far. Yes, Holy shit, mama. how many pages, how many pages it's did like I 13. go? There we go. Now eat your kartoshka so you'll grow big and strong like your papa, said Joshuanovich's mother, (laughs) placing a plate in front of him. On it was a small amount of cabbage next to a single boiled potato onto which she sprinkled a few grains of salt. I love that the mother doesn't have a name. That's great. (laughs) Joshuanovich munched his cabbage in silence for a while before looking across the table at his mother and asked, Mama, when is Papa coming home? Joshuanovich's mother stopped chewing and without looking up, replied, When the fascists are destroyed. But Bensky says Papa is in prison for speaking about being... You're supposed to interrupt... Oh, I'm supposed to interrupt myself. Never mind. Your Papa is fighting for the motherland against the fascist invaders and he will come home when the war is won. His mother shrieked, slamming her fist against the table, causing Joshua's kvass to spill. 
Josh Ivanovich <laughs> knew not to press the matter any further, and the rest of the evening passed in silence. Chapter 3. There came a tapping noise at the window. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Ivanovich slowly slid out of his relatively warm bed. Relatively warm bed. <laughs> from the float onto the frozen floor of his room and made his way across to the window. Bensky was there. Josh Ivanovich pushed open the window, spilling yet colder air into the room. I wanted to say I'm sorry, comrade, for being the angry today. <laughs> being of the angry today. Do you wish to press our Ken doll parts together? <laughs> <laughs> Josh Ivanovich <laughs> glared at Bensky for a moment, then softened. I would very much like to do that, comrade, but as we are only 14 years of age and mommy is in the next room, I am of the fearing that she may hear the clacking of the plastic. Perhaps another night? Bensky sighed and said, Do not worry, comrade. I will be seeing of you tomorrow at State Bureau for, of, for Education Center. With that, Bensky trudged <laughs> off into the night. I fucking love the way this is written. <laughs> Josh Ivanovich watched him disappear into the snow, then closed the window to the oppressive cold and climbed back into bed, which was now so frigid that it felt wet. Ugh. However, Josh Ivanovich did not think of Bensky or his Kendall parts, for his mind still lingered on this conversation with his mother and about where his father could be. Chapter 4 Clattering. The clattering, smoke-billowing BA-10 armored car trundled slowly down the main street of Bresnik and came to a halt outside the state food distribution bureau. <laughs> Bensky I would laugh more, but these things are fucking real. <laughs> this guy knows his history. Yep. Knows Russia, that's for damn sure. Bensky, Joshuanovich, and Gloria, Gloria, Gloria Natalia and Diana all looked up from their cabbage soup as the loudspeaker on the imposing vehicle crackled to life. Sons and daughters of Mother Russia! A distorted voice bellowed from the speaker. A glorious comrade Stalin calls to you! Join Supreme Red Army and fight with your brothers and sisters! Fight to rid our great land from fascist tyranny! Fight to save your homes and loved ones! Fight for your glorious motherland! Enlist now with your comrade commissars today! With that, the rear door of the the ZIS-5 truck that had been following that had been following swung swung down with a bang, and four burly men in the commissaire's uniforms carrying PPS H41 submachine guns jumped out. They burst into the room, shouting at Joshuanovich and his friends to show them their papers. As Joshuanovich, trembling, handed one of the men his his ID slip, Gloria Talia, Gloria Natalia dropped the glass she had been holding. It smashed on the floor, causing all four commissaries to aim their weapons at her it's actually making me horny <laughs> just fucking kill her <laughs> the commissaire who still held Joshuanovich ID slipped then approached Gloria Natalia broken glass crunching under his boot and said very calmly papers please I left him at home, Gloria Natalia whispered, staring blankly ahead. Joshuanovich and Bensky exchanged glances. Dianya <laughs> began to weep silently. This is problem, said the commissaire softly. Out! And then barked. Davai, davai! I'm sorry. And then barked. Bark, bark! <laughs> Two of the commissaires grabbed Gloria Natalia by the arms and almost carried her outside as she was thrown into the back of the, of the, back of the ZIS. 
The remaining two handed back Joshuanovich, Bensky, and Dianya's papers. Good day, comrades, said the first commissaire as the other left the SFDB. As he, as he turned to follow, Joshuanovich stood up. Where are you taking her? He demanded. The commissaire paused and faced Joshuanovich, hand resting on the slunk, the, the slunk submachine gun, and said, she, she is going to fight for her country. Of course we will need to process her for draft dodging. Before Joshuanovich could protest, the man wheeled around and marched off out of the building. As There's a problem with the story. What? This is more engaging. <laughs> hey, that's why we're acting it out. Oh, that's true. As the two GAZ MM engines sputtered to life, Joshuanovich turned to Bensky and said, we, m- <laughs> we must go after them. Bensky pulled Joshuanovich down into his, into his seat and said, Yet, comrade, we can't. We cannot. Joshuanovich, outraged at his friend's apparent lack of duty, retorted, But you have car. We can catch them easy. But we, but we could. But then what, comrade? They have machine guns and armored car. All we could do is get ourselves killed. But we, but we can't let them just take Gloria Talia. Joshuanovich shouted, ignoring the mutterings of a few people around the SFDB. The armored car and the truck skidded away. Who's saying this? She forgot ID. It's her fault. And now she will fight for the motherland. Be thankful, comrade, that she is not being taken to Gulag like your papa. Joshuanovich hit him. Bensky, stunned, blinked at Joshuanovich. Do not talk about my papa. Joshuanovich hissed and stormed out of the SFDB. Chapter 5. <laughs> hey, just right to the point, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Hey, whatever. Joshuanovich stared at the controls for Bensky's father's GAZA. How on earth did Bensky manage to operate a machine so damn complicated? Joshuanovich had never driven so much as a tractor, let alone a full-blown automobile. Okay, think, he thought to himself. How does Bensky start his car? The mess of levers, dials, and switches, most of them not labeled, seemed to taunt him with their incomprehensibility. Joshuanovich reached for the lever next to his steering wheel and pushed it up. Nothing. While he was fiddling with the controls of the car, Joshuanovich did not notice the figure approaching from behind. Whoa. What happened? I dropped my keyboard. I'm sorry, please do not send me to Gulag. It's your turn. I'm sorry, I missed my place because I dropped keyboard. Just a second. While fiddling with the controls of the car, Joshuanovich did not notice the figure approaching from behind. Trying to steal car, are we? Came a loud, slightly slurred voice. Joshuanovich oh, Sorry, jumped. trying to steal car, are we? Joshuanovich jumped, turning to confront the voice's source. Came face to face with the muzzle of a, t- a Tokarov TT-33 pistol. Behind it was the, the rare, very red face of Bensky's father, <clears throat> Commissar Petrovich. No, sir. I, I, my friend forgot her ID. She, uh... Joshuanovich sputtered. You are a friend of Bensky, right? Yes. Yes, comrade. Commissar Petrovich holstered his pistol and pulled Joshuanovich out of the car. What is this you say? Bensky has forgotten his ID? Yeah, it was Gloria Talia. The commissar took her. Who? The commissars that came looking for draft dodgers. Who did they take? Is Bensky in trouble? Shouted Commissar Petrovich, shaking Joshuanovich. His breath stank of cheap vodka. Yeah, it was Gloria and Talia. Who? A friend of mine in Bensky's. I was... Why are you taking car? To save her. Save her from what? From going to the front. Joshuanovich almost screamed. <laughs> Commissar Petrovich stared at him for a moment, then laughed. Fool, no one comes back from the front. But she forgot her ID. 
and you thought what? That you'd take car, confront Stalin, and Stalin himself, and demand her release? Go home, child. Use this as a lesson to not forget ID. With that, Commissar Petrovich turned and stumbled back towards his house. Joshuanovich felt despair rising within him. Bensky emerged from behind the house and came over to stand next to Joshuanovich. He is right, comrade. They do not care if Gloria Antalya has ID. They just want the excuse to send her to front. Bensky whispered. He leaned in to kiss Joshuanovich, but Joshuanovich <laughs> pushed him away. One day, having ID will not matter. You and I will go to front just like everybody else. Chapter 6 Joshuanovich stared at the darkened ceiling of his room, unable to sleep, tapping at the window again. Joshuanovich ignored it for a while, as it grew in persistence. When whoever it was began hammering on the window with their fist, <laughs> Joshuanovich leapt out of bed and across the room and threw, and threw the open window into the face of Bensky. Bensky, packing some snow into his bleeding nose, told Joshuanovich, Go get your clothes on. We leave tonight. Where? To go save Gloria Italia and find your papa. <clears throat> they stumbled across the snow-covered field that separated Joshuanovich and Bensky's houses as, qui- uh, as quickly and quietly as they could. When did you change your mind, comrade? Joshuanovich shout-whispered. You're all right, comrade. One day the commissars will come for us, and ID will not matter. Besides, to, ge- to, save those lives we lo- bleh, to save those we love, then wait here for their fate, to take us too. I- that sentence came out weird. They reached Commissaire Petrov's little G-A-Z-A, and as Joshuanovich pulled the can- canvas cover off the engine, Bensky sat, set about starting it. Joshuanovich heard it struggle, turn over once, then went silent. Battery is too cold, you'll have to hand start it, hissed Bensky, throwing a metal handle at him. <laughs> Clang. <laughs> Joshuanovich retrie- retrieved it from where it had landed and inserted it into a hole at the base of the car's grill. I love this. Mm-hmm. The effort it took to turn it was incredible, like trying to stir a large spoon around a barrel full of treacle. Faster! What's treacle? Treacle is, um, huh. it's a sugary concoction. It's something that we we call it something else out here. It's kind of like molasses, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Bensky whispered urgently. He could hear noises from inside the house. Joshuanovich turned the handle again. The engine ticked. Hurry! Ben spat. An angry shout came from the house. Joshuanovich took the handle in both hands and with all his strength turned it quickly. The engine sputtered, then went silent. Blood! (laughs) Bensky exclaimed. The same curses could be heard from inside the house as someone clattered around approaching the door. Panic began to to grip Joshuanovich, and with one last titanic effort he didn't know he possessed, he forced the car's handle around. It sheared off in his hands. The engine banged, coughed uncertainly, and sputtered a couple of times, then roared to life. Joshua jumped in, and they sped off into the night just as the door to Bensky's house flew open. Joshuanovich was unsure whether he heard gunshots or the car itself backfiring. Chapter 7. First, you push spark control all the way up. This one. Da, next, you uh, pull handle throttle all the way down. Bensky was showing Joshuanovich how to start his GAZA. They had stopped at the side of the track near the junction for the road to Moscow. An endless column of men, uh, material and machines of war, rumbled slowly along that road. None of the, sol- the soldiers spared the little staff, car- staff car a second glance, just some commissaire overseeing the flow of a minor artery in the great beast that was the Soviet war machine. Next open fuel valve. Which one? Under here, said Bensky, guiding Joshuanovich's hand underneath the dashboard. Choke valve is right next to it. <laughs> uh, eventually... <laughs> 
After after all the different control levers and valves had been set, the car was started. Joshuanovich waited for the engine to warm up, then ease slowly forwards into the junction. Before joining the column, Ben and Josh Bensky and Joshuanovich swapped places, given that Joshuanovich had only ever driven those five meters in th- those five meters in his life, and and convoy driving required a little little more experience. They managed to file in behind a very great war-weary T-34 tank covered in soldiers and in front of the pristine Studebaker US-6 truck. Hot, heavy diesel smoke billowed out from the tank's twin exhaust pipes, causing Joshuanovich's eyes and throats to sting. <coughs> I think there is a gap behind that tank for a reason, comrade. <coughs> he coughed. Ben agreed, and had begun to slow down when a soldier jumped from the back of the tank where he, she had been riding and approached them. The convoy was only moving at a walking pace. So she strode alongside the car. Where are you two civilians like yourself heading? The woman asked in a thick Ukrainian accent. Her uniform, although clean, was rumpled and not well cared for. The front, replied Bensky before Joshuanovich could stop him. Why do you want to go there? It's no place for two children on Sunday drive. We're going to find someone, a friend. Bensky hesitated, sensing Joshuanovich staring at him angrily. Ah, and this friend of yours, this soldier? Bensky said nothing, stared at the back of the tank in the front. Well, if you're going to the front, you won't mind giving me a lift, the soldier said. Asked. Not said, asked. Just Mm -hmm. saying. And before either Bensky or Joshua could... Actually, I don't think she asked. It's a statement. I made it a a question. Oh, okay. That's your fault. Yeah. The soldier said. And before either Bensky or Joshuanovich could protest, she had unslung her Mazen Nagant and jumped into the back of the car. There she sprawled over the back seat like some fascist officer. Well, you can't ride with us, Bensky said indignantly. Why? We're all heading in the same direction. Besides, you've got two spare seats here, and the diesel fumes are getting to me. She took off her helmet and fished out a crumpled pack of cigarettes. God damn it, this is an interesting story. I know, (laughs) and we're finishing it tonight. I know there's a shitload more, but I want to know what the fuck happens. The day passed slowly. The convoy crawled achingly, slowly, through the featureless Russian steppe. With nothing but the back of a T-34, on which was scrawled... I can't read that. It's in Russian. Russian word. Come on. <laughs> to look at. Wait, I'm gonna... You know what? I need to know what that fucking says. Later! No. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Uh, Russian to English. It's not, a, it's not a Let Me Finish podcast without... <laughs> For Stalin. Googling. It says for Stalin. Okay. All right. Look to look at Joshuanovich and Bensky conversed conversed with their unanticipated passenger, whose name they learned to be Zana. We lived in Kiev. My papa worked in the rail yard. My mama looked after my brothers. I was part of the garrison, later absorbed by the thirty seventh Army. When the Germans came, my my family made their way to the communal shelter as instructed. It was hit in the first air raid. I was one of the last soldiers out when the Germans encircled the city. You will not believe this, but I was the third driver for the great Nikita Khrushchev. You've heard of him, yes? For that I was given this. She pulled from her pocket a small red <coughs> star attached to a frayed red ribbon. Joshuanovich and Bensky stared at it. They never met a hero of the Soviet Union before. All of a sudden, the T-34 in the front veered off the mouse 
the Moscow Road and down an unidentified track headed southeast, following the rest of the convoy. Bensky stopped the car at the junction. In front of the commissaire, who was waiting, who was, uh, who was waving the column of vehicles down the side street. What is going on, comrade? We need to go to Moscow. Bensky yelled over the roar of a thousand wheeled and tracked vehicles in front of him, behind him. <laughs> no orders, comrade. We are going south. The commissaire shouted, his hoarse voice. Behind, his voice hoarse. His voice hoarse. <laughs> You guys don't know. I I do this at fucking it, where he is. It's, it's 8, late it's for 8, him. 30. It's, it's late. eleven thirty four where I am. Yeah. Behind him, a monster, a monstrous KV two tank blocked the road to Moscow. But we need to go to Moscow. Keep going. You're holding up the line. The commissaire bellowed, waving with his Torokov. A horn sprawled behind him as the great smoke spewing Voro. Oh, I don't know how to say that. Voro Shilovets. Voro Shilovets tractor towing some enormous howitz, howitzer attempted to squeeze past Bensky and Joshuanovich's tiny car. If that tractor gets stuck, they will shoot you, Ziana said, leaning towards so they could hear over the din. They sped off after the rest of the convoy. We need to go to Moscow to have any hope of finding anyone, Bensky said as they took their place in the convoy of the GAZ-AAA. The soldiers huddled in the back, staring at them blankly. Why do you need to go to Moscow? asked Sana. They will have records of where our friend and my... No, sorry. They will have friends of where my... Our, records of where our friend and my papa went, said Josh They are... <clears throat> They are army, yes? Dog comrade. Well, it's very likely they'll be going where we're going, said Zana, settling back in her seat. Why is that? asked Joshuanovich. All new recruits, all new recruits go there. Where is that? We are, where are we going? Bensky demanded. Where else? To the front, to Stalingrad. Chapter- Shit, they're, they're fucking dead. <laughs> they're fucking dead. <laughs> well, at least they're in real peril. That's true. <laughs> Chapter 8. It took days. Joshuanovich had to take over driving the car on several occasions so that Bensky could sleep. The convoy never stopped. At walking pace, it was easy to jump out of relative, jump out and relieve themselves when necessary before jogging back to the car. The snow thinned and disappeared to be replaced by an ever-present hanging cloud of dust, kicked up by thousands of vehicles traveling along the dirt road. Vehicles low on fuel or broken down would pull over to the side and wait for some of them of the many fuel trucks, fuel bowsers, and engineering trucks. Eventually, the tall black columns of smoke appeared on the horizon. The road began to become clogged clogged up with civilians almost walking, carrying suitcases and trunks, some pulling carts, all heading in the opposite direction. Joshuanovich studied their faces. All had the same blank, shocked expression. Fear began to rise in his chest. His mind had not grasped the reality of what they were heading to, heading into until now. Shouts came from somewhere in the front. The truck in the front slowed, then stopped. Bensky did the same, pulling slightly to the side so that he could see around the GAZ AAA. The vehicles ahead had also stopped, and the men were leaping from them into the ditches on the side of the road. <laughs> on the opposite Why are you laughing at that? Because they're going to fucking... Dis- something's coming. Something's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, I have a feeling I know exactly what's coming. They're, they're all going to die? Mm. Yeah. On the opposite side, civilians were, most, were moving as best they could to the roadside ditches as well, abandoning their luggage. Their heads were turned skyward, eyes yeah, searching fuck. frantically. Several of them pointed, shouting and huddling in the ditches on the side. Then he heard it, a high-pitched wailing scream from above. Faint at first, but growing louder, Joshuanovich turned turned, said, 
We have to get out of here. Saw that ja- saw, uh, saw that Zana had long since done so already and leapt from the car as the great howling scream of the Stukas rose to a def- rose to deafening proportions. He drove into the ditch on top of some protesting soldier just as whistling whistling bombs detached themselves from the demonic aircraft. Joshua turned to look up just as one of these black-crossed birds screeched overhead, then all sound vanished. Joshuanovich was knocked on his back and covered in a cloud of dust and debris. He could not see, could not hear, could not even think. Nothing but a growing whine in his ears. A daze, he stumbled to his feet and began picking his way towards the, uh, back towards the car to rejoin his friend Bensky. He would want to get going. They had to find Gloriana Natalia. The smoke and the dust slowly cleared, and Joshuanovich almost fell into a smoking crater. Odd, he didn't remember this being here. This was where they left the car, wasn't it? Before? Okay. <laughs> Joshuanovich's head began to clear. He looked frantically around for Bensky. The remains of G-A-Z-A-A-A they had followed lay broken on its side out in, out in the field opposite. The, the Voroshulovitz tractor behind them burned oily black smoke, choking the senses. Further up and down the convoy, similar, similar scenes were emerging out of the clearing dust. As his hearing gradually returned, Joshuanovich could feel himself shouting Bensky's name. He, desper- he desperately ran about as people were getting to their feet. The civilians crawled out of the ditch and continued their trudge along the road as if nothing happened. Soldiers stood up, retrieved their weapons, dusted themselves off, and set about looking for a vehicle that still worked. The attack didn't seem to have caused many casualties. <laughs> Just Ben, right? <laughs> Just damage to the vehicles. An officer in a GAZM-1 stiff car, staff car, riddled with bullet holes, picked its way down the length of the shattered convoy, its horn buzzing as civilians scrambled out of its way. Keep moving! If you can't ride, walk! Keep moving! He shouted out of the window at the soldiers milling about, many still in a daze. Joshuanovich was caught up with the surge of soldiers hurriedly beginning to walk towards the front. He tried fighting the crowd, jumping, trying to catch a glimpse of Bensky, and came face to face with the commissaire who had been directing traffic from the road to Moscow. He stopped Joshuanovich, demanded, Where is your uniform? I'm, I'm a civilian. Joshuanovich stuttered. The commissaire pulled him to the side of the road to let traffic pass, said, Papers, please. Holding out his palm. Joshuanovich reached for his, into, uh, Joshuanovich reached for his coat pocket and felt the earth drop away as his hand felt only ragged fabric. His pocket had been torn away, probably snagged on something in his e- exit from Bensky's GAZ. Panic rising in his chest, he looked up at the commissaire and said weakly, I, I, I lost it. The commissaire stared at him for a moment, <clears throat> then took Joshuanovich's arm and led him down the convoy. We'd better find you a uniform then, before you get yourself shot for deserting. He said, heading towards the, y- the YAG-10 with a box body. Vladimir, get this boy a uniform. He wants to fight for his motherland. The commissaire shouted at the back of the truck, which had yet not yet managed to get its engine started. Well, no, I... Joshua began. Quiet, idiot. You'll be shot by the next commissar who finds you out of uniform without papers. Hissed the commissaire as the back door of the YAG swung open, and a grubby-looking sergeant appeared. Sir? He said, trying to focus his eyes on Joshuanovich. Sergeant Vladimir Vodavodov, you drunken fool, get this patriot his uniform. Yes, sir, Commander Zugov, sir. Right away, sir, comrade, commissar, this sway boy. 
The sergeant slurred, reaching out a hand to help Joshuanovich into the back of the truck. Joshuanovich took one last glance at Commissaire Zyogunvnovov and let himself be hauled into the stinking cave of the laundry truck. Let's see, small size, muttered Sergeant Vadonovov, searching through the piles of uniforms by the uniforms by the light of a single flickering caged bulb, scattering bottles around the floor. He pulled he pulled from a pile a crumpled khaki tunic, a similar pair of trousers, and set about looking for accompanying effects. Joshuanovich, now dressed in a slightly too large telogriga, is that how you say that? Grika. Telogriga, yeah. Uniform over his thin red army tunic, a starchy pelotka cap on his head, and wearing a pair of Kirza boots that chaffed his ankles, tramped along with the thousands of others now debussed from their vehicles. Debussed. from their vehicles behind the surviving tanks and the trucks of the convoy. He felt despair growing inside of him as vast columns of smoke from Stalingrad glue crew closer oh man i know who would we should send this to hayden <laughs> <laughs> along with the because you know what i mean the boys are just about the right age to be going to um what's that place oh yeah vietnam no like, they're 14 not no in in oh in yeah, yeah yeah in the, they're yeah, they wouldn't be going there oh you're going to co- no you're not going to college sorry you're gonna go die <laughs> just like the boys in russia during this time period <laughs> all right Sorry. Uh, I lost my place. Uh, He had no idea where Bensky was, or even if he was still alive. Surely he had jumped from the car before the bombs hit. He had gone to the opposite ditch and was now somewhere behind him in the column with Jana. No, the thoughts soon soon progressed too. He had had to run further from the car to the ditch than on his side of the road. There was no way he could have made it before the bombs hit. Yeah, but there would have been body parts everywhere. No, no, no. No? No. Yeah, there would have been burned something, like a finger. Not, not. Not the kind of bombs that are there to destroy. Um, uh, the Stukas were there to bomb the vehicles, basically. Those bombs are made to utterly destroy a vehicle. If he was right next to the car, he would have been, for the most part, vaporized. Okay, so what I need to know, and I know this is kind of a dumb question, <clears throat> who is bombing them? The Germans. He's, no, she said when the Germans came. This is in ni- I thought this was in the 1950s. No, this is the 1940s. This is World War Two. Okay, alright. I was just confused. I knew that Russia was still in some shit after. That's what they mean by they're, they're fighting the fascists. Okay, but what I'm saying is, Russia was still in, some, in, a, in a giant puddle of shit directly after World War Two. If you ever want your job to hit the floor look up the casual the, the total number of casualties for the soviet union during world war ii yeah it was like 20 million i know they yeah. starved because of the lysenkoist nah, epistemology of science they they, they, they had horrible crops and they didn't think genetics worked the way it does that nah, wasn't the reason why no it was a huge part of it it was part of it but also they threw every person that they possibly had at the germans literally this story is not this story is not it it's based on real it's based on real stuff okay this is this is a very well well researched bit of writing a sound like a tearing can- canvas came from above joshua did not bother to duck as an artillery shell hit somewhere ahead in ahead in the column why he had not warned Bensky earlier. Better yet, why uh, why had Zana not warned, warned them? Instead, taking off like a fucking coward. Some hero of the Soviet Union. She had probably stolen that medal off a real hero, just to escape Minsk. Minsk. 
like the Ukrainian rat she was. More artillery shells. Joshuanovich was too focused on his thoughts circulating over and over into his head, noticed the soldiers around him, flinching at each crump as the shells landed. But the explosions had not been that big. The Germans were using small bombs, aiming for the trucks, not the people. He had seen no casualties. Surely Bensky would have survived even even if he was not in the ditch. He was just in an ambulance on his way to, f to a field hospital. Joshuanovich could go visit him at first at first opportuni opportunity. Surely the nice commissaires Zuganov would understand. We need to press our Kendall parts together. <laughs> the convoy began weaving around craters. Joshuanovich stared straight ahead, allowing the rest of the soldiers following the rest of the soldiers automatically. He did not notice those who had who had not been so lucky with the bombs and artillery shells. No, he probably wouldn't. He had already done enough for him to simply not shooting wait. Simply by not shooting him for desertion. Joshuanovich would never know of Bensky's fate, even if he were alive. He would never find Gloria Natalia, let alone his father. This was a stupid venture from the start. They should have stayed in Bereznik and waited to be called up. Then at least they would have they would have been together. Instead, he would die cold and alone in a strange city surrounded by strange people at the hands of a fascist bullet. His mama would never know what happened to him. And perhaps that was the worst thing. Joshuanovich's eyes welled with tears. I like this person now. What the fuck? Like it's Keep it, going. <laughs> I need to piss very badly, Jason. I'll read while you're gone. No, you'll miss story. We'll take a break oh from God. holy shit did Russia go through a bunch of garbage during World War II right after Atticus gets done going to the PP. Honestly, I can't believe he didn't know this was World War II. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed for him. <laughs> he won't hear this for like a week. But he's American. He thinks that, you know, Americans won that war. He thinks that America stepped in and we won everything. Truth of the matter was, guys, we came in late... Took all the credit. There's a reason why we're on top, and that's because we came in late and took all the credit. We came in when everyone else was exhausted and done all the heavy lifting. I know that there's going to be some people who quibble. And yes, we had heroes. And yes, we suffered casualties. And yes, it was really bad. But come on. A lot of people want to downplay what the Soviet Union did. The Soviet Union basically tipped its country so that all the people would roll towards Stalingrad <laughs> and towards and towards the Western Front. So what would have been the Eastern Front for the Germans. Now we get to wait for him to put on his shirt while I Fuck continue you. to vamp. You're supposed to be reading story. <laughs> I'm not. You'd miss a bunch of stuff if I did. Oh, God. <sighs> Suck my ass. That's not in the story. Sure it is. Where did we stop? Uh, you start the next sentence is someone grabbed. Uh, someone grabbed Joshuanovich's arm and dragged him into the ditch on the side of the road. Fool, you want to be killed? Yelled a grizzled-looking soldier. Joshuanovich snapped out of his thoughts just in time to see an angular twin-engined aircraft swoop down the length of the convoy accompanied by a slow knocking sound, like someone knocking steadily on an oak door. Mm. As its 30-millimeter cannon fired, more trucks exploded, being thrown into the air by force of the Henschel's HHS 129's gun. It roared overhead, close enough for Joshuanovich to momentarily see the pilot staring through the gun sight at his armored cockpit. In his armored cockpit. In his armored cockpit. Whatever. It banked away slowly. It banked away and slowly turned to make a second pass on the stricken convoy. Just then, two more aircraft screamed overhead to intercept the Henschel. Around him, soldiers got up and began to cheer, shouting and waving their weapons at the two fighters 
embers that Joshuanovich could see had large red stars emblazoned on their wings. Long, stream, long streams of green tracer fire extended like fiery trendle, uh, tendrils. Tendrils. Don't don't correct me. <laughs> from the two fi- from the two fighters and connected with the German aircraft, black smoke began to pour from its engines, followed by thin bouts of flame. The nose of the Henschel dropped, and it dove behind a patch of trees where it crumpled on itself like a paper model. As it buried, as it buried the two fighters, as it burned, as it. I'm sorry, you don't understand. It's okay. Okay, okay. You're I'm, tired. I know no, you're tired. No, it's not just that I'm tired. When I wake up, the first thing I do is put my head into writing. Mm, do you know how many pages of my version of this story are written? I don't know. What is it now? 285. Yowza kabowza. That is almost as long as the book I just published. Jeez Louise. So, I stare at this computer for quite a long time in the morning. (laughs) Then I work out. Then, today, I went to pick up my daughter at school. Said the narrator. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. (sighs) (laughs) Then, um... As it burned. As it... As it buried. (laughs) As it burned, the two (laughs) fighters. Lavo... Lavo Chikin. L.A. Lavochkin. You... Yeah. Flew low over the convoy (laughs) to the the cheers of the soldiers. They disappeared into a haze. And Joshuanovich was pulled to his feet by by the grizzled soldier. He was wearing a faded gray coat. Great coat. And still had an old pattern SSH-36 helmet. With its flared brim and a small ridge running along its crest. On its front, where a sniper would likely aim was painted a prominent red star. Sergeant Abraham Prazdenkov at your service. He said cheerfully, shaking Joshuanovich's hand in a great mittened paw. Joshuanovich stared at the ma- into the man's bearded, feather-beaten face. <laughs> feather-beaten. I'm feather beating beaten. you with a feather. Hey, you're gonna take it and like it. <laughs> stop it, stop it. I like that too much. Stop. Please stop. <laughs> hey, please, I like the feather on my face. You're not making me It long. feels good and nothing in Russia should feel good. I, I have found my fetish. <laughs> Joshuanovich stared into the man's bearded, weather-beaten face and managed to mutter, Joshuanovich Gravsky. The soldier hit him on the shoulder as he laughed. Good to to meet you, Private Gravsky. They both rejoined the the convoy as it began moving again. Which unit do you belong to? He asked. I'm not sure. Joshuanovich mumbled, looking around at men in the immediate vicinity. All were wearing the same batten great coats and SSH-36 helmets. I'm not sure. <laughs> Dimitri. Sergeant Preznikov laughed, turning to one of his comrades. This one does not know which unit he belongs to. Welcome to Red Army, comrade, said the one called Dimitri, grinning. You, you can track with us until you find the proper regiment. Said, said Sergeant uh, Preznikov. Wait, yeah, no, it says said. It says said Pre- Sergeant Preznikov said. Yeah, I know. and took a swig from his large hip flask that miraculously appeared in his mittened hand. Can't I join this one? Began Joshuanovich. Oh, sorry. Sergeant Preznikov sprayed out whatever he was drinking and laughed along with several soldiers, soldiers around them. <laughs> Good heavens, no! We're the 13th Guard Rifle Division. We've been together since uh, Finland. Isn't that right, Dmitri? Dmitri grunted.
grunted. <clears throat> Sergeant Preznikov hit Joshuanovich on the shoulder again, saying, You'll have to grow up a bit first. Survive Stalingrad. You may have what it takes to be a guard. Until then, you should fight with a unit more suited to your experience level. <laughs> you know what you're reminding me of right now? What? <laughs> Fucking Metal Gear. You're uh-huh. doing this so well that I'm, I feel like I'm in one of the cutscenes. <laughs> I never skipped those cutscenes, even the second and third time through, every single uh... one of them. Anyways. Snake. Snake! Snake! Bensky? Bensky! Brother! I see you down there! <laughs> Liquids. And then all of a sudden, Liquid Snake goes across the screen. Yeah. All right, anyways. Sergeant. Uh, they, trudged, they, trudged. they trudged onwards towards the smoke and fire and the growing sounds of warfare. Sergeant Preznikov, telling jokes and stories, occasionally accompanied by a grunt from one of his comrades. Sometimes they had to jump into the ditch to avoid attack an attacking German aircraft. Sometimes they had to lie flat under an artillery barrage. As the sky began to grow dim, Joshuanovich turned to Sergeant Preznikov and asked, Why do you laugh and joke so much, comrade? You're not afraid of upcoming battle? Sergeant Preznikov clasped Joshuanovich on the shoulder and said, Boy, I've fought in Poland, Finland, Kiev, and Kharkov. There will be nothing in Stalingrad that I haven't seen before. Chapter 9 No stars in the sky. No light could shine through the vast rolling column of smoke rising from Stalingrad. The wind had shifted shifted earlier in the night, and now the stinging, choking stench of war drifted heavily through the convoy. Stalingrad itself resembled more something out of a nightmare than a city. Nothing but fire and ruin. Uh, fuck. <laughs> Blackened husks of buildings, great columns of flame punctuated by thin streamers of tracer fire flowing into the sky. Joshuanovich stood on the bank of the river Volga, staring across the black expanse at the scene of hell and knew he would die in this place. Sergeant Preznikov tugged his shoulder. Come, Conrad. We must keep moving. The convoy had finally reached its destination. The shattered dockyards across the river from Stalingrad teemed with exhausted soldiers. The water was thick with oil, debris, and hundreds of bodies. Jesus. Uh A commissaire stood on the back of a truck directing the mess of men and vehicles that were arriving through an improvised megaphone. Somewhere, a propaganda vehicle was blaring a scratchy rendition of the Soviet national anthem through its loudspeakers. And Joshuanovich could not help feeling a swell of pride. He was no fan of Stalin or his regime, but hearing the song of his great motherland never failed to bring warmth to his heart. The record, suddenly beginning to skip, put an abrupt end to those feelings. They reached the commissaire with a megaphone. That Joshua Van... uh, That Joshua... uh, That Joshuanovich now saw was a brass coal scuttle with the base removed through which the man spouted keep moving keep moving we cross it once move to the docks not one step backwards which unit should I Joshuanovich began to yell at the commissaire but was pulled along by the soldier Sergeant Preznikov had called Dmitri if you learn nothing don't upset the commissars said Dmitri leaning uh, leading Joshuanovich toward the crowd of men gathered at the docks but I need to find the regiment protested Joshuanovich Sergeant Preznikov said that I couldn't join yours 
Abram is a fool. His head is stuck in Finland. The guards aren't some elite force of super soldiers. Over half our division haven't even fired a rifle yet. Nobody will even notice you here. A sound of tearing canvas, followed by a titanic splash as an artillery shell, hit the water at the end of the dock. Muddy water rained down on the crowd, slowly boarding a wooden barge. But I need a weapon. I can't fight the Germans without a gun. Joshuanovich wailed. A shell behind him, uh, a shell landed behind him, them in the crowd. Joshuanovich and Dmitri, along with those around him, were knocked off their feet by the blast. As they struggled back up, Joshuanovich could hear screaming. I haven't received no equipment since 1939, comrade, laughed Dmitri. You're lucky they gave you a uniform. They waited at the dock until dawn, the crowd moving slowly forwards as more groups of men were loaded onto the waiting barges. As the sun rose behind them, faint faint and red in the smoke, Joshuanovich and Dmitri finally reached a barge. As they stepped off the quay, Joshuanovich looked down into the murky water. A blackened, broken face stared back at him, its gaping mouth wrenched open in a silent scream of agony. The body was attached. The body, <laughs> the body was atta- it, it was attached to had been torn apart, likely from a bomb or artillery shell. Joshuanovich stumbled into a barge behind Dmitri and was violently sick. Some of the soldiers shouted as vomit, spl- uh, as vomit splashed onto the sodden deck. Most stared straight ahead, unfocused, or whispering to themselves, eyes closed. The barge steadily filled, sinking lower and lower into the water. A tattered tarpaulin covered the crowd of soldiers packed into the boat like sardines. A chugging, steam-powered tug approached the through line, approached and threw a line to over to the commissaires at the front of the barge, who tied it to a, a, a towing loop. Sharon had come to ferry the damned sphinx <laughs> across the sticks, Stalingrad to hell. The barge, towed by an ancient civilian tugboat, swayed sluggishly in the filthy water. Joshuanovich tried not to look at the river. Evidence of large, of previous barges that had not fared so well floated there. Splinters of wooden boxes, scorched a scorched uniform, a leg. Joshuanovich quickly focused on the commissaire with the megaphone. Listen to these letters sent by Russian mothers to their sons on the front! Where are we? Shit. Shouted the commissaire, brandishing a handful of crumpled papers. Olovia, my child, I know that it is for our motherland. He was interrupted by a now familiar tearing sound of a falling artillery shell. The soldiers packed in the barge all turned to see a plume of water erupt erupt near their tugboat. I know. The commissaire continued as further splashes burst into the river. That it is for our motherland that you are giving your life. The shells began to land much closer to the barge, which was caught up in a mess of vessels heading in seemingly every direction. The soldiers around Joshuanovich instinctively, hunk- <laughs> in- instinctively hunkered down as water from the shell impacts rained down through through the ragged tarpaulin. Tra- uh, is that tarp? Yeah, it's tarpaulin. Okay. Tarpaulin, yeah. The commissaire continued unperturbed. But everyone here knows that you will not fall back. Everyone here is proud. A small steamer a little way up the river exploded like a giant firework. It was probably carrying ammunition. Joshuanovich saw a ragdoll figure fly out from the blast. Who's saying this? Your father is dead. Your brothers are dead. Avenge us on the hordes of fascists. A high-pitched wailing scream broke through the din of battle. 
The commissaire looked up, startled. Joshuanovich could not see through the tarpaulin above the boat, but heard as the but heard as the tormented howl of the stukas rose in pitch and volume until it was as if all demons in hell were inside Joshuanovich's head. Then came the staccato sound of machine of machine gun fire. Two dotted lines of white splashes zipped along the water to the barge. Then became red as bullets. Then became red as bullets tore into the mass of terrified soldiers packed inside. Small holes appeared in the tarpaulin as Joshua as Joshuanovich saw the silhouette of the Stuka as it screamed overhead. More howls approached. Some of the commissaires fired their PPSH-41 submachine guns at the attacking aircraft, like throwing darts at a charging bull. Joshuanovich saw puffs of red burst from nearby officers' greatcoat as he fell and he fell backwards into a seething mass of panic men blood spattered in Joshuanich's face he instinctively cowered down as low as he could dark red water sloshed around his boots there was a whistling sound as a bomb detached from yet another stuka I feel like I'm just reading a book yep <laughs> dude you shouldn't have sent this to us you should expect <laughs> this should be a novel <laughs> okay. As soon as Maybe I'm, this is I'm, the test run. I'm done with my version. Okay. You write. You write this one. Then you write your second. Then you write your third. I. We could do it as companion books. We're never gonna finish. Called this. shit fiction. <laughs> but this isn't shit fiction. And neither is mine. Thank you very much. Yeah. Joshuanovich covered his head and knew for certain that this was it. A titanic splash that seemed to lift off the barge out of the water told him that he had been lucky, but only for a moment. As yet more stukas opened fire with their twin twin mg-17 machine guns as more soldiers were cut down under the hail of fire someone yelled get out of the boat Commis- the commissaire with the megaphone instantly dropped the letters pulled out his nagant revolver revolver and brandished it at the blood smeared crowd stay with you or get back or i'll shoot some of the surviving officers su- succeeded in pushing oh jeez, sorry <laughs> and pushing the swarming, swarming mass of panicked soldiers back into the center of the barge, trampling over the corpses of the fallen comrades. But a few men mangled to vault the railing... Man- mangled. <laughs> but a few men managed to vault the railing and plunge into the oily river. Traitors! Shoot the traitors! roared the commissaire, and he and his comrades unloaded their revolvers at the struggling swimmers. The rest of the soldiers around Joshuanovich cowered down the barge, the brutality of their officers having achieved its purpose. At the last German aircraft at last the German aircraft relented and turned back towards the fires of Stalingrad. Chapter ten the one with the rifle shoots. The one without follows him. When the one with the rifle is killed, the one without picks up the rifle and shoots. Joshuanovich fo- followed the soldiers of Volga. In a daze, the Stalingrad docks were packed were packed much like the docks on the other side of the river, albeit significantly more battle-worn. Rows of stretchers were laying out on, uh, on the shattered concrete as, few order- as a few orderlies attempted to tend to the wounded. The one with the rifle shoots! Joshuanovich followed the line of soldiers as they were divided into two groups, those with weapons, those with weapons already, and those without. He was glad to see Dmitri and Sergeant pa- uh, Preznikov had both survived, but was herded into a much larger group of men without weapons. The one without follows him. The line of unarmed soldiers filed past the GAZAA truck, on the back of which was another commissaire with a megaphone. Two men were handing out weapons and ammunition from crates to the soldiers in the line. When the one without the rifle 
rifle is killed, the one without the without picks up the rifle and shoots. Joshuanovich reached out to the man distributing weapons, but the pristine factory fresh Mawson Nagant M91 30 bolt action rifle was snatched from his grasp by another desperate soldier. A handful of bullets were pressed into his hand, and Joshuanovich was hurried along past the weapons truck. He looked down at his hand, five bullets in a stripper clip, plus two loose. The line filled up. The line filled up a trench leading to the remains of Stalingrad. Plumes of blackened earth blasted into the air as artillery continued to pound the Red Army's staging area. Joshuanovich had no idea where he was going, what to do when he got there, or even or even who was in charge. So he just followed the man in front, hoping that someone down the line knew what was going on. Chapter 11. We do only have three pages left, so... <laughs> <laughs> Smoke drifted across the empty hall. The roof of the railway station had collapsed, leaving scorched columns poking up through the tangle of iron girders, like trees in some apocalyptic forest. The far end of the station was obscured by the heavy veil of smoke. Behind an improvised barrier of rubble, Joshuanovich peered out into gloom, clutching his merge of supply ammunition. Meager. He spelled meager weird. The soldier with the rifle next to him trembled, the rifle clattering quietly. Here they come, steady men, said said a commissaire. The line of ill-prepared soldiers stared into the smoke silently, waiting. Then they heard it. A low grumble of engines, the squealing rattle of tracks. They have tanks! We're going to die! They have tanks! A soldier down the the line began to cry. His... His voice became muffled as one of his comrades put him into a headlock, staring down the commissaire, who approached them holding a, toroka, a tokarev. The rumble of the approaching tanks steadily grew louder. Joshuanovich began to hear other sounds. Tramping boots, the tinkling of an am- ammunition belt, a harsh, guttural bark as someone shouted orders in German. A large boxy shape materialized out of the gloom at the far end of the ruined station, flanked by two smaller hexagonal shapes. The line of Russian soldiers tensed. Joshuanovich's comrade with a rifle muttered something, probably a prayer. Joshuanovich realized he himself had stopped breathing and let out a long, shaky breath. Old comrades, do not fire until I give the signal, the commissaire said, his voice cutting through the ranks of silent, terrified soldiers. The commissaire was kneeling next to a person who had shouted earlier, a boy who looked no older than Joshuanovich. He slapped the boy on the shoulder, said something to the man who put the kid in the headlock, and made his way toward the center of the line, taking care to stay hidden behind the barrier, peeking briefly at each man he passed. Good luck, comrade, the commissaire said to Joshuanovich as he hurried past. A fireball burst from the gun of an approaching tank. A split second later, the pillar behind Joshuanovich exploded, showering showering on him dust and debris. Joshuanovich hunkered down, coughing, and hearing what sounded like multiple saws, multiple buzz saws. Open fire! Someone yelled, and the line ripped through the ragged volley of rifle shots. With a ragged volley, <laughs> with a ragged volley of rifle shots, Joshuanovich heard the soldier to his right yelp, as the recoil of his Mazen Nagant M91 30 rifle caught him by surprise. Joshuanovich slowly began to raise his head in order to see over the parapet, just as the back of his comrade's head blasted outwards. A stream of bullets swept along the parapet just above Joshuanovich's head, sounding like a crackle of bonfire amplified into a deafening volume. The dust slowly cleared in time for Joshuanovich to see the section of rubble behind which that nice commissaire was firing, firing his tokarev, erupt, erupt, erupt into a plume of dust. 
Pick up that rifle! The corporal to Joshuanovich's left shouted, staring at him with crazed eyes. Joshuanovich's, Joshuanovich grabbed at the sling of his fallen comrade's rifle and then pulled it down next to him. Shoot! yelled the madman, bringing down his rifle to bear on the advancing Germans. Joshuanovich struggled to his feet as another section of the barrier, further down the line, burst into a shower of debris. The, hexonical sh- the hexagonal shapes, which Joshuanovich could now see were armored half-tracks, had begun to discord their complement of soldiers, while MG-34 machine guns on the roofs of half-tracks continued buzzing, pouring fire into the quickly disintegrating line of Soviet soldiers. Stormtroopers in dark gray uniforms and bulky helmets clamored over the sides of efficiently formed offensive line. Joshuanovich aimed his rifle vaguely at the advancing stormtroopers, closed his eyes, gritted his teeth, and pulled the trigger. Click. Blat! Joshuanovich fumbled with the rifle's bolt, pulling it back. A brass shell casing glinted in the, sh- in the shrouded sun as it pinged from the weapon. As he pushed the bolt forward, the next cartridge was forced into the breach. Joshuanovich leveled the rifle once more at the oncoming Germans. The stormtroopers had divided into groups of four and were advancing quickly, darting from cover to cover while the machine guns on the half-tracks of the PZ-KPFW-3 tank continued to suppress the Russian infantry. He pulled the trigger. Ooh, sorry, my eyes hurt for a second. <laughs> the more, but I'll the go. thing is, the more I read, the more I, the, the faster I can do it. The, no, okay. I got it. The butt of the Mazenigant pushed, pushed Joshuanovich in the shoulder. Punched Joshuanovich in the shoulder. I do know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> he opened his eyes and looked past the smoking barrel of his gun to a man in gray uniform. The man's helmet had fallen off so that Joshuanovich could clearly see his expression. The man was frightened. He screamed as he lay on the rubble-strewn floor, clenching at his stomach. Dark red blood covered his hands so- and soaked his uniform. Joshua went numb and his knee and his legs began to buckle. A dark stain spread from his crotch down his leg and urine trickled down to his boot. Two storm stormtroopers grabbed their wounded comrade by the lapels and dragged him behind the cover while, it, while a third fired his MP40 at Joshuanovich. Spritz of dust spattered the rubble barrier as Joshuanovich slumped down, dropping his rifle. Wait, did Josh get shot? No, no, that was... The, he, he actually shot somebody in the stomach. Okay, I'm getting confused yeah. here. Around him, his dust and clots of rubble continued to fall as, as red beams of tracer sprayed overhead his comrades were retreating. Fall back! yelled the corporal, throwing his SVT-40 and sprinting towards the exit of the station, followed by the rest of the survi- surviving defenders. Joshuanovitz could not get his legs to move and lay there his, as his comrades ran into the archway at the end of the platform, uh, where commissaires were waiting. The Maxim machine gun and its little cartridge with its silly shield propped up on a small pile of bricks began to began to chatter fire spurting from its flared muzzle joshuanovich watched as his comrades were cut down by the commissaires small spurts of br- of red bursting from their bodies as they crumpled to the floor when the last of them fell the young corporal his arms in desperate surrender the machine gun fell silent a small metal cylinder attached to a wooden handle sailed through the air over this is a bangalore is it not right um no this is uh this is a uh, a hand grenade yeah but it has a wooden handle i thought that was a um i don't uh, we called them bangalores i don't know what they called them in german well i just wanted to say i knew something <laughs> <laughs> sailed through the air over Joshuanovich's barrier and landed with a clatter a few meters away. It rolled in a circle, coming to a stop with its handle pointed at, at his feet. Joshuanovich looked at the grenade, a small 
Smile flickering on his dust-caked face. Justice certainly was quick. Blackness. End of part one. I hope you enjoyed this rendition of Picket Fences as I plan to continue (laughs) the story and part two is currently under construction. Expect it soon. Many thanks for the podcast and the endless hours of entertainment you guys provide. Sir Kitalot. Whoo! I feel dead inside, but in a good way. Thanks, Sir Kitalot, for that sober and goddamn it, really good story. <laughs> Realistic, enlightening, hey, powerful. If you guys have bleak, horrible stories about war that you would like to send to us, please go to the Let Me Listen podcast website, go to the contact page, and leave it for us there. Holy shit! <laughs> Seriously, we need more humorous ones later. Come on. <laughs> no, this this is good for a break. After 180 goddamn 80-something goddamn episodes, we can be serious every once in a while, right? Yeah, I'm sure we can, but still, I need I need one where somebody has Ben fall off a roof into a wood chipper and loses his leg immediately. <laughs> you know? <sighs> well, that's it. Quick, take that arm out of the garbage disposal and start to write. <laughs> Drop that bleach you were drinking. For Let Me Finish, this has been Comrade Jason Harding. And this has been Comrade Atticus Blake. Is that okay? <laughs> and remember, always dive for motherland. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Shit-caked surface. <laughs> <sighs> okay, in three, two, one. The Lemmy Finish podcast is a Lemmy Listen podcast production with Atticus Blake and Jason Harding, with music by Kevin McLeod, produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Lemmy Listen podcasts at our website at www.letmelistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, and iTunes. Please like and leave a review. And thank you for listening.